testimony, it was pretty tough for Solomon to keep up because of his breathing. And, uh, and last night after worship, not only was he breathing, but because of the oxygen, he, was, he had this kind of this, uh, what do you call it, a skip in his step. And he was right there with the group. They were kind of moving at a good clip up the, 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 the hill, and, and he was just totally fine. And so praise God for that. God is, is yeah, let's do that. Um, and we're believing for more. We're going to pray for them in just a minute. They have their morning breakout sessions and activities today and two more days today and tomorrow of just amazing things that God wants to do in their lives. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord this morning with our tithes and offerings. Uh, In just a minute, the ushers will come forward. In fact, I invite you guys to come forward right now. Um, Giving is an act of worship. And, and we absolutely, absolutely believe, not just as a church, but, but more importantly, importantly, biblically, that when we're able to give back to the Lord, uh, you know, part of what he's blessed us with, it honors him, and it sows into the kingdom, it sows into the kingdom work that he wants to do. And so it's a privilege for us to be able to give. I want to encourage you, if giving is not and tithing is not a part of your regular worship, um, Go to the Lord. Ask him to to stretch you in that, to speak to you, and allow him to bless you. I know that every person, including myself, that I've ever talked to has walked in obedience in in honoring the Lord with tithing and and, and offering and giving, um, has seen the Lord provide over and over and over again. And so encourage you in that. Let's pray for the offering this morning, and then we'll pray for our students as well. Father God, we bless your name in this place. We lift you on high, even as we've been singing this morning. What a, what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. What a powerful name the name of Jesus is. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would meet us in this place in power. I pray that as we give, God, that you would be honored, that you would be blessed, and your kingdom would be expanded for the glory of your name and for the benefit of people around the world. God, we pray for our students and the leaders up at camp today. Lord, we pray and ask that you would meet them in a mighty way. God, that that young people would see you, they would know you, that they would fall in love with you, that chains and shackles would be broken in Jesus' name. And Lord, for a generation that the enemy is seeking to destroy, that they would find, find life and freedom in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So please be blessed as you give this morning. Well, we're gonna continue a series today. Uh, entitled Unstuck. We're on, so it's a little confusing because it's a series called Unstuck, but I'm on part three of, it's kind of a series within a series. This is part three of Breakthrough Prayer, which is a part of the Unstuck series. We started the first week, four weeks ago, talking about who Jesus is in our lives and the fact that if you're feeling stuck in your life, we've, who's ever been stuck, just felt stuck in some way, right? We've all been there. We've all found, found and been in places where we felt stuck, stuck being this, unable to progress with a task or find an answer or a solution to something. We've all been in places where we've been all confused, don't know the answer, don't know how to move forward, don't see the solution. Maybe you're balancing your checkbook and you, as I've said before, there's more month than there is money. And you're going, God, how is this going to work out? I don't, I don't have the solution. I don't know how to move forward. Um, and I'll tell you, in my own life, 
Um, I found this when I'm faithful to the Lord and, and when I trust Him. There's never been a time ever in my life where He's not met my needs. And I can say that confidently. I don't say that, uh, you know, in a contrived way or, oh, there was that one time. I genuinely cannot think of a single time. And even in these last few weeks, God has met needs in our family. Can I share a little quick testimony with you? Um, We filed our taxes on time because we're good citizens and that's what you do. And last year, we actually had to pay quite a bit into into the IRS and... uh, Bless our nation. Um, this year, we, we... That came out kind of snarky, didn't it? I love being... And I'm going to talk about my citizenship a little bit here in a minute. Um, forgive me for that if that came across wrong. I mean, really, we, we get to live in one of the greatest nations in the world. But this year, we did our taxes, and turns out we got a, a return. And we were like, Lord, thank you. That's great. And then I got a letter from the IRS saying there was some paperwork missing, and my heart sank, and I was like, oh, no. So I did the paperwork, sent it in, and our, our t- uh, tax refund got deposited this week almost three times what the initial amount was. And so can I tell you, when God wants to bless you, he will find ways to bless that you can't imagine, but we get stuck. We get stuck thinking there's no way, right? God used the IRS to bless me. Come on, how awesome is that, right? He will find ways to bless you. It was, it was something we did not expect. And um, God is good. Can I just tell you he's good? We get stuck. We get stuck in our thinking. We get stuck in our relationship with the Lord. We feel like I'm not moving forward. We get stuck in our calling, thinking, God, you spoke something to me, and I don't see it happening. How am I going to move forward? We get stuck in our finances. We get stuck in habits and addictions, hang-ups, things that we allow to consume our lives or distract us, and then we get stuck. Something that we entertain for a little bit ends up being something that occupies our life for many years. I heard the definition of sin a number of years ago was this, that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You end up stuck in these things that you thought, oh, I thought I had mastery over that. I I thought I had control. We get stuck in our parenting. We get stuck in our marriage. And again, not stuck in your marriage, but stuck in your marriage in the sense that things aren't progressing and we're not maturing. We're not getting closer. In fact, we might be feeling like we're further apart. And I just declare over all of us that no one would believe the lie that you're actually stuck in your marriage and you need to get out. The stuck is, Lord, we need to get breakthrough so we can move forward into what God has for us. And even stuck in our joy. God, where's the joy in my life? I, I, I just don't, I'm just no happiness. I just don't feel like there's anything uh, to celebrate in my life. That can be a stuck point. Made this statement, God has not intended for us to live stuck lives. God, not, God never intended for you to live a stuck life. And, and I think one of the greatest tragedies is, is that Christians become stuck and then just feel like, well, this is, this is it. This is as good as it's going to get. I'm going to go through the motions, but this is it. This is it. 
No, God didn't intend for you to live stuck. In fact, he gives us everything we need to get unstuck in every single area. There's not a single area of your life that God's word does not speak to and his Holy Spirit will not minister to. There's nothing that is outside of his purview, out of his perspective and out of his reach that he can't minister to. So we've been looking at that. We we asked this question on the first week. What place does Jesus occupy in your life? What place does Jesus occupy in your life? Is he your Lord? Is he your king? Is he your savior? Is he your commander? Is he your all in all? If he's not, if he's not any of those things and all of those things, I guarantee you you're stuck. If Jesus to you is a good luck charm or like 911, someone you can call on when you need him, but otherwise largely forgotten, I guarantee you you're stuck. You might not even know you're stuck, but you are if Jesus isn't the central figure and anchor point in your life. We also talked about starting three weeks ago, breakthrough prayer, that Jesus first needs to be the anchor, and then we need to be a people who call on him in prayer. And we talked about the fact that prayer gives us traction, helps us move forward, and we've been reading out of James. We're going to read James chapter 5 if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Just so, just so you know, by the way, I have a lot of scripture today. I have a lot of scripture. I'm going to let the Word of God preach more than I do because I think there's some things, some truths in the Word of God this morning that we need to understand. And so just kind of, if you need to take notes, you, you might just want to jot down the references and, and go back and look them up. Um, the, the, the major theme this morning is that of righteousness. And there are over 555 passages in Scripture that address righteousness. So I'm just giving you, like, it's not even the reader, Reader's Digest version. It's, it's just like a little sampling of what God's Word says. So be ready for that. But, but James says that if anyone is in trouble, if anyone's stuck, they need to pray. And if they're happy, they need to praise. And either way, what needs to be happening is words need to proceed out of our mouths that glorify God. Either asking for his help or praising his name. One way or another, words need to be coming out of our mouths. Amen? We talked about the fact that prayer needs to be done out loud, not quietly in our hearts. God knows our hearts. He can hear those prayers, but Satan does not. He cannot read our minds. He's not omniscient. And when we declare out loud, the Bible tells us that every knee needs to bow at the name of Jesus, right? And the darkness needs to flee. And so when we declare out loud, the praise and the prayer in the heavenly realm, something breaks, And I would say if you're not walking around your house on a regular basis praying out loud and declaring things over your home, you need to start doing that. You need to pray that way. Jesus said when he taught the disciples to pray, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. Our words are powerful and they carry power to build up and to tear down, to bless and to curse. And last week, I started talking about the two primary areas we see right here in James chapter 5, where the enemy comes against us to really weaken or remove our ability to pray. The first was, uh, we talked about isolation, isolation, that, that if he can get you off by yourself, you're stuck, and not only that, he's, you, you're in a place where he can devour you, as James also, I mean, rather, Peter says, that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking who he 
may devour. May being this, he needs permission. He needs permission to devour. He needs permission to steal, kill, and destroy. Why? Because you're hidden in Christ. And it's only when we give him permission, when we isolate ourselves, and when we believe the lie that no one knows, no one cares, no one understands, and so I'm just going to struggle in this on my own. Right? One of the great things up at camp right now is there's 400 young people worshiping and praying together and praying for each other. And their faith is like a rocket ship that is just launching into the atmosphere, right? right? It's, it's just all of a sudden, and it's amazing to see from the first day, these kids who come in and they're hard and, and they're skeptical and they don't want to be there or they're resistant to what God is doing. And by the last day that their hearts are just softened and they're literally these guys who are like, they look like gangbangers and they're coming in with just tattoos, like teenagers with tattoos and they just are rough and they're on their knees weeping before the Lord. I had a, a, a leader last night, one of the cabin leaders, youth pastor from Ukaipa, his name's Angel Big guy, looks like he just got out of a gang, got, got, just got that look about him, and he's just crying, tears streaming down his face after this worship night going, I saw my kids just in front of my eyes soften, their hearts soften before the Lord. And so there's just, in the midst of community and coming together, James says, if anyone's in trouble, they need to come to the elders, They need to come to the church. They need to come to someone. And it's not because the elders or the pastor or the leaders have a kind of the the corner on the market when it comes to faith. It's that the assumption is, is if you're a leader, that, that there's a degree of faith that you have that's probably greater than where my faith is at. So really, the encouragement is this, find someone whose faith that you recognize is, is maybe a few steps ahead of you in, in the place of where their faith is so they can build you up. Rather than going to someone else who's just going to grumble with you and go, yeah, you're right. Man, you're stuck. I'm sorry. There's just no hope, right? Oh, man, just let the air out. And so we go and we find community so that our faith can be built. Excuse me. James chapter 5. Verse 13, can we read this together? We're going to have it up on the screen. And I want us to read this out loud. Um, read it Read it with power. Read it like you mean it. And, uh, and let's hear what the word of the Lord says to us today. Let's read. Ready, go. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with, the, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So last week, we talked about isolation. The other tactic is this. The, the, the enemy wants to question your identity, It's your identity. Isolation, if he can get you alone, and then identity, if he can get you to believe that you're something that you're not, he's got you. See, we quote this scripture, don't we? I love this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In another translation, it says it availeth much. There's good results, and we love to quote it. But my question is this, how many of us actually believe it? 
And even more than that, how many of us actually do it? Pray in a way that we believe is powerful and effective. And I believe that the issue here, the thing that, 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 that becomes a problem is this word righteous. Righteous person. See, because when I read this, I can already hear the voice of the enemy going, that's not you. That's not you. That's someone else. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Or maybe you prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered right away and it, or you didn't see the result right away and you're thinking, well, I must not be a righteous person because if I were, my prayer would be powerful and effective. By the way, powerful and effective doesn't mean you get your way. Okay, because the power and the effect is in who God is, not us. And God's love is that he will answer prayer the way we, he needs to answer it, not the way we need it answered. Can I get an amen? All right. When we don't believe and live like our prayer is effective, it's because we've believed the lie of the enemy that says you're not righteous. We get to a place where we believe the lie. And at that moment, our identity has been compromised. Who we are in Christ has been compromised. Not your salvation. You haven't lost your salvation. You haven't backslidden. But just that belief that I'm not righteous, that God's not hearing my prayers, that my prayer is not powerful and effective. Here's the truth. God wants to remind you of who you are. God wants to remind you of who you are. Satan wants to convince you of what you're not. See, the difference between reminding and convincing is reminding is a reality. And and if I'm trying to convince someone of something that's not real, I have to go to great lengths. But I can convince someone to believe, believe a lie. But I can only remind you of something that's tr- of something that's true, that's real, that has substance. God wants to remind you about who you are. Satan wants to convince you of what you are not. And here's the thing. If Satan can conv- convince you that you're not righteous, that you're standing with God is somehow being compromised, that you're somehow lacking, that you're weak, and that you're ineffective, there's this progression that happens. I call it the unraveling. The unraveling. See, because you stop thinking the thoughts that God would have you think. And the tactic of the enemy is this, it's the same in the Garden of Eden as it was when he tempted Jesus. He asked Adam and Eve, did God really say? And he calls into question the promises and the goodness of God. When he stands with Jesus after 40 days in the desert, he says this statement, if you are the son of God. He tries to convince Jesus that he's not. That somehow, this is right after, by the way, 40 days after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, he comes out of the water, and what does the Holy Spirit say and the voice from heaven say as he comes out of the water? This is my son, if, you're the, if you are the son of God. God just told him, in front of full view of everyone else, that Satan will call into question the truth and affect our thinking. If you can stop thinking it, you'll stop believing it. Can I say that again? If you stop thinking it, you'll stop believing it. And so if you stop believing it, 
You're going to stop praying it and declaring it. Why would I pray and declare things that I don't believe? And if I stop praying and I stop declaring, I stop being powerful and I stop being effective. It's the unraveling of our faith when it comes to prayer and praying the prayer of faith. We track in this morning? There's two words that popped up during our prayer time this morning before service, and we prayed specifically against and over these two things, lethargic and apathetic. Satan loves Christians that are lethargic and apathetic. Lethargic, I'm just sluggish. I've just got no energy. It's like me in the morning before I have my coffee, right? I just don't have, there's just no zip. There is no excitement. There is no energy. There's no passion. There's no vitality. I'm just lethargic. Apathetic is even worse. Apathetic is I don't care. I don't care. And a Christian who stops caring, well, you don't really identify well with Christ at that point, do you? Because Jesus always cares. And so lethargy and apathy or really the end result, and so that seeps and makes its way into my prayer life, and I'm praying lethargic and apathetic prayers, again, that I'm just kind of tossing up, going, oh, Lord, if you can answer this, I don't know, we'll see, hasn't worked before, and we sound like Eeyore, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm in this situation again, God, I guess God, <laughs> God just doesn't care about me. Oh, well, I must have done something wrong to deserve it, right? Lethargic and apathetic. (laughs) I got to tell you, this is not how God designed you to live. It's not who you are. Can I tell you who you are? Okay, um, so I'm going to remind you, I just got back from camp. The invitation is this. I know there's not a lot of us here this morning. I know we got people on vacation and people at camp, um, but, 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 but here's the invitation. Get fired up a little bit, because I'm going to share some really good stuff with you this morning. You ready? You ready to hear this? All right, let's look at the Word of God. We need to look at our righteousness in two, from two perspectives, and this is, this is something God's been unpacking in my life. Um, and I just want to share it with you. I want to pass it on to you. Two perspectives. First is this, positionally, and second is functionally. Positional righteousness and functional righteousness. These two go hand in hand, and so we need to understand what they are and why they're important. So a few years ago, um, I, I was living in this country, but I'd been here for many, many years after immigrating from South Africa in 1992. I had a green card, my resident alien card, um, but I did not have a passport because I'd not become a citizen yet. And so I started the process. By the way, God provided. It was an expensive process. God totally provided every dollar I needed for that process. I'll share that testimony with you sometime. Started the process of citizenship, went through the, the, the study process, the paperwork, the background checks and everything, went in for my interview. That was a funny story as well. Ask me about that sometime. Um, and ended up getting the approval that I would become a citizen. I had to go down to 
the uh, LA Convention Center, downtown LA, and along with about 4,000 other people, raised my right hand and uh, recited the oath of citizenship and the oath of allegiance to the United States. I now carry a US passport. I am a citizen of this nation. It is my position. I have a document that tells me that I'm a citizen of the United States of America. So now when we go to Kenya, if there's a problem, I don't go to the South African embassy, I go to the U.S. embassy, which is pretty enormous in Nairobi. It's the place I'd rather be in case there was a problem. Right. <laughs> it's my position, and, and it can't be taken away from me. That's one of the things I love about this country, is that once you become a citizen, you're a citizen. You're a citizen. You belong here. This is your home. I am positionally a citizen of the United States of America. But here's the functional part. I live as a citizen. I can vote, which I did for the very first time in my life last year. Voted in my very first presidential election because I left South Africa before I could vote there. And then, of course, as, a, as a, a resident alien, I couldn't vote. So I got to vote in my very first presidential election. I get to do jury duty. Come on. Can I tell you, if you're ever on trial for, someone, for something, do you want the 12 people who couldn't figure out a way to get out of it? I, I consider, and I haven't been called to jury duty, duty yet, but I tell you, there's part of me that kind of looks forward to it because I think it's a part of the process of our nation. It's a privilege of living here in a, under a, a judicial system that empowers people. And if you want to know what the opposite is, do some research in Zimbabwe and see what it's like there. So I get to, I get to do jury duty. I get to pay taxes, Right? If we didn't pay taxes, our nation would not function. Our government would shut down. And so as much as we don't like it, by the way, if you don't like your tax rate, do some research on the nation of Sweden and find out how much they pay in taxes. That'll brighten your day. I get to obey the law. Every day I get to obey the law of this land. There's laws that are in place that protect me, and I get to drive in a way that honors the law, live my life in the way that honors the law, go into a store and pay for things and not just walk out with them, right? I get to live my life in a way that obeys the law. I enjoy the benefits of living in the United States of America. So I function as a citizen. I'm positionally a citizen because immigration department said, you're a citizen. Here's your passport, right? Department of Justice gave me this piece of paper, but functionally, I get to live my life as a U.S. citizen. You see the difference? All right, let's take a look at the Word of God. Positionally, what is righteousness? Righteousness is this. It's to be made right, to be in right standing. Another word in Scripture that's translated for righteousness is the word justified, You've been made right with God. And you can insert right in there that you are holy and that you are pure. The Bible tells us, and I'm going to read a bunch of passages to back this up, tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It literally says that. You are the righteousness of God. Can we pause there for a second? You're not associated with the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
we should be able to just stop there and be done for the day. But we need a little more convincing. It says that we have been declared righteous. The Bible tells us that you are sons and daughters of God, that you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And here's, here's what the awesome part is. It's God who did the work of making us right with him. He made us righteous because Isaiah said that our righteousness is like filthy rags. So we brought nothing to the table that we've been declared righteous. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 and 9. It says this, but when you pray, go into your room. This is Jesus speaking. Close the door and pray to... Your father, who is unseen, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not, like, do, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You catch the theme? Jesus telling us, your father. He's your father. And then when he teaches them to pray, he says, our father. The assumption is, is what? That we're connected with Jesus in the sonship. In, Jesus, in the heavenly father being our father. Jesus reminds us of who we are. We are children of God. We are children of God. We are children of God. That's who you are. Jesus did not say, pray this way, our maker, our creator, our almighty, our sovereign Lord. Now, is he all of those things? Yeah, absolutely he is. But he says, when you address your father, say, father, because he's your father's. Romans 8, 14 through 17, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit we receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, by the way, when we sing the final worship song today, keep this passage in mind. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, which means this, that you were not a child of God. The Bible tells us you were a child of darkness. We were born into sin, but we were adopted into the family of God. We were made sons and daughters of God because he adopted us. You cannot adopt yourself, right? There's, there are kids all over the world in orphanages who, if they had their choice, would be a part of a family somewhere. You cannot adopt yourself. Someone has to initiate and adopt you. That's a huge, that's a whole sermon series right in and of itself. You, you, your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies uh, with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Listen, if there's any question, just read the first eight chapters of Romans. Because this is what, 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 what Paul is just dealing with over and over and over and over again. Why? Because the enemy is right there to steal, kill, and destroy and, and try and rob us of this truth. By the way, Abba, Father moves beyond this distant father figure in the sky and it makes him intimate and close and personal. Abba is an endearing term 
It's an intimate term. I, I shared this morning during our prayer time something happened at camp. Um, I might have even said it last Sunday, so forgive me if I did, but it's, it's kind of cool. Um, I was sharing at our junior high camp in front of all these students about the fact that, that God is waiting for us to embrace us like the prodigal son. As the son returned, the father saw him in the distance, and then the father ran and can I tell you, in that culture, fathers did not run to their sons. That was not an honorable thing to do. And the father didn't care. He ran and he embraced the son and he held him. And, and what he didn't do, Jacques, will you help me out real quick? What he didn't do, the father didn't come up and say, hey, son, it's good to see you. Right? A little side <laughs> hug. Right? A little polite. And he, he didn't say, hey, son, I'm glad you're home, but where have you been? And why have you been there? And why did you break my heart? And do you know, you know how much your mother has cried while you've been gone, right? And he didn't kind of give him a hug, but then poke him in the side either, right? There was an embrace that took place. You ready for a hug? <laughs> and he embraced him. But here's what happened. He embraced him. And then especially as guys, there's this moment where a hug becomes really awkward, <laughs> but then there's a moment and this is something we don't do well thank you we have to push through the awkward to get to the intimate we have to push past the awkward to get to the intimate when it comes to prayer how many of us ever fail awkward in our prayer can we be honest right God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray just, I'm going to pray for 20 minutes today. And after four minutes, you're like, and now I'm thinking about the laundry and I'm thinking about my checkbook. Am I right? Why? Because it's awkward. We have to press through the awkward to get to the intimate. He's our Abba. That's not an awkward or distant title. That's an intimate title. And Jesus says he is your Abba, as Paul writes here. Romans 3, 20, verse 22. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And Paul's saying the law had its place because it pointed to this it had its place, but now this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. No one gets left out. It is given. It is given. It's a gift that is given to everyone, to all who believe. Have you believed in the name of Jesus? then you have received righteousness. It has been given to you. Can we just catch the awesomeness of this? My mind has been like, as I sat studying yesterday and I was reading verse after verse and I was undone in the presence of God when I was reminded of who I am in Him. So, so maybe this is just for me. I hope you get something out of it. This is awesome. You've been given righteousness and you did not deserve it because your righteousness is like filthy rags and God said, I'm going to trade you out and give you my righteousness. 
And then I'm going to call you my son and my daughter. That's who you are. Paul goes on to say this in Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you're hidden in Christ. Where does the condemnation come from? From the enemy. Are you really the son of God? Are you really a daughter of God? Are you really righteous? Righteous says this, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life, gives life, has set you free from, law, from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. One of the richest parts of scripture right there. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Whoa. The righteous requirement, that there was a requirement that needed to be met from us for us to go from being unrighteous to being righteous, and Jesus met the requirements fully. Say the word fully. fully. Say it again. Fully. All right, one more time. Fully. All right. Fully met, meaning nothing is lacking, that the righteous requirement of the law would be fully met in you. And therefore, he sees you as righteous. He declares you as righteous. You are righteous. Romans 5.19, for just as through, uh, just as through the disobedience of one man, there, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Jesus' obedience to go to the cross results in your righteousness. You've been made righteous. You know, a car can't say, I'm not a car today, I'm a toaster. Today I want to be a toaster. I don't feel like being a car today. You can't do that. A car can't do that. Why? Because it was made to be a car. When you are made righteous, you can't decide then all of a sudden, today I just feel like, now you can, there can be results in your life, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but the way that positionally that God sees you does not change. When you are in Christ, you are in Christ, you have been made righteous. And it doesn't matter what you think about that. Well, I'm not, I guess I'm not righteous. God must not love me. And God's going, hello, I made you righteous. And you can't change that. Jesus fully, fully, fully met the requirements. He paid the price it's settled. It's settled. Second Corinthians 5. See, I told you there's a lot of scriptures about this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You don't just possess righteousness. You are his righteousness. Can I ask you this morning, has the enemy ever called this thing into question in, in your life? I guarantee you, probably daily, every time you go to prayer, what's the enemy going to say? You're not righteous. You shouldn't open your mouth and declare those words because 
you know, you know, you know the condition of your, your life. You know the doubt. You know the, you know. And if you have those things in your life, you're probably not righteous. And God's going, you're righteous because I say you're righteous. righteous. And not just that, you are my righteousness. You belong to me. I bought you with a price. You belong to me. You're righteous. Do we need any more convincing? Or are we good? All right, functionally. I've been declared righteous. I'm declared as the son of God. A co-heir with Jesus Christ. But here's the rub. Here's the problem. Is I can still choose to live like I'm not. My citizenship is in heaven. But I can still live like I'm not. And this is where we so often get hung up. James 2, 23 through 24. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous, listen to this, by what they do and not by faith alone. <laughs> um, what? Anyone else ever tripped up on this and you're like, that doesn't, that seems a contradictory statement. Anyone? Am I alone in this? All right, good. A person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. But what did Paul say in the book of Romans? It's by faith. So who's wrong? Who's right? They're both right because they're talking not about, they're talking about the same righteousness, but they're talking about the difference between positionally righteous and functionally righteous. See, we get into the works mentality, and, and the reality is, is that this verse throws a, wait for it, a wrench in the works. Um, pun totally intended. Come on, people. Work with me here. You're considered righteous positionally, but there's a functional part of our righteousness that needs to be walked out and lived out and expressed and as, I, as I live as a citizen of heaven. See, because faith without works is dead. That there has to be some kind of result in your life. What would it matter if I gained citizenship in the United States of America and never got a passport, never voted, never paid my taxes, never obeyed the law? Why, why would I bother? Why, why would it matter? It would be irresponsible. I consider, consider it a great privilege to be a citizen of this country. It took a lot of work and a lot of effort. And so I, I savor. And that's why even my comment about paying my taxes... Honestly, can I just, I'm like, Lord, would you bless me so that I can be in a place where I can pour into our nation? And there's a debate about government and overspending and all of that. that that's, I need to be aware, but that's not my fight to fight. I need to make sure that I'm honoring the Lord by submitting to those in authority and over me. And if that part of that is paying taxes, then Lord, allow me to do that with a joyful heart. Because it exhibits my allegiance to this nation. How much more am I a citizen of heaven? 
and that I would live out that citizenship here on earth in such a way that people go, man, your life is different. You don't live like other people live. Why is that? Well, you see, because I'm a citizen of heaven. By the way, we shouldn't ever have to say that. It's a great thing to say, but it should be evident in the way that we live our lives out. Faith without works is dead. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good, say it with me, work. All right, some of you got it. That the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good. Word. Yeah, not sitting down on your... Right. <laughs> right? If I can be trained in righteousness, that means I can get better at it. Hello? If I can be trained in righteousness, it means that I can functionally become better at living righteously. It starts with me believing that I'm positionally righteous, that I've been made righteous, that I am the righteousness of God, but now I need to live it out in such a way and become better at being righteous. Are we we tracking? All right. You can get better at it. But by the way, all scripture, it starts with being in the word and letting God's word read you rather than you, rather than you reading it. And as you do and as you press into his word, he will reveal places in your life that are out of alignment, that need to become, that come under his righteousness, both positionally and functionally. Hebrews twelve eleven. no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, Later on, however, it produces what? A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's that word again, training. You can get better at it. But by the way, in the midst of that, you might get corrected. You might receive some discipline. A great picture of this is parenting, right? Right? I'm not just my, my kid's parent, but I'm the one who brings order and structure. I didn't just birth, well, Megan birthed them. I didn't, I contributed, right? Um, <laughs> but she gave birth, and, 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 but we're not just their parents because of genetics, but because of the way that we parent them through their lives, and we make decisions, and we correct them. I love when people ask Megan, like, how did your kids turn out so great? And I love my kids. I'm so proud of my children. And Megan's immediate response is this. I spank them a lot. <laughs> not, the, not the answer people want to hear. Now, she did a lot of other things. And if you're ever around her, and I just brag on my wife, she's not here, and she'd be like, stop it. But I watched for years and years and years as my wife invested in our kids, spent time with our kids, and she did this, and, and we've made this a commitment in our marriage, that, that in order that we would have a long-term relationship with our children, that we decided that we would parent them in this season so we could be their friends in the next season. But when we try to be our, our kids' friends and not correct them and not lovingly discipline them, 
we can lose them in the next season. Right? Because those who God loves, he disciplines. Why? Because discipline leads to a harvest that produces a harvest of righteousness. So, how about praying this prayer? God, correct me and discipline me where you need to. If there's areas of my life that need to be disciplined, Lord, bring it on. Prayed that prayer lately? Try it out. Fun? No. Easy? Definitely not. Productive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Remember, your thinking, if your thinking is wrong, your believing is going to be wrong, your prayer and your declaration will be off, and it leads to lethargy and apathy. In the attitude of your minds, And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love, by the way, that he says the attitude of the mind and not just the thinking of the mind. Because your mind can have an attitude. Am I right? Really, God? Come on. Really, Lord? That's what what you're going to bring my way? Really, Lord? That's what you're going to bless? Thanks for the blessing. Right? You might not say it out loud, but we think it, and I know you do, and I know I do, and there's this little, and God says, that doesn't honor me. Correct the attitude of your mind because it will deceive you. It will deceive you. And put on the new self. Why? Because positionally you've made right, been made righteous, and now functionally you need to clothe yourself with righteousness. And walk in that righteousness and practice that righteousness and put off the old self and make a decision every day to stand in true righteousness and holiness before the Lord. You have to make a decision about how you're going to live your life. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light. Now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases God. Listen, in my marriage, I had to figure out, and it's taken me a long time, and I'm finally getting some breakthrough in this area, but I had to find out what pleases my wife. And it was completely different to what I thought would please her. Can I get an amen? Some of the guys are like, I'm not willing. (laughs) Okay, there's a lot of elbowing going on right now. (laughs) I had to do the work of finding out what pleases my wife. You need to find out what pleases the Lord. Again, in his word. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Come up against those things. And then finally, 1 John 2, verse 29 If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. It leads to the way we live our lives. This is how we're identified. This is how God sees us, and this is how God has called us 
to walk. And as we walk these things out, and as that righteousness finds greater place in our lives functionally, what ends up happening is that our power and our effectiveness increase as well. The Bible says if someone needs to pray or, you know, pray in, in, in proportion to their faith or use those gifts rather in proportion to their faith. Why? Because your faith can increase. And as you walk as children of the light and you stand in that righteousness and your faith is built, you'll find out, wow, this is happening all the more. I'm praying for people and they're being made well. I, I'm receiving words from the Lord and, and, and it's happening all the time rather than once every like every five years. Why? Because you're walking out this functional righteousness that increases your faith, that allows you to pray the prayer. So let's go back to James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Who's righteous? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. I just need you to respond, okay? Who's righteous here this morning? Who does God declare as righteous? So whose prayer is powerful and effective? Yours is. So are you praying that way? Or do you need to make some adjustment? This is you. This is who God says when James says your prayer is powerful and effective, it's because you're a righteous person and God hears your prayer. Can there be an increase to that power and that effect? Absolutely. Absolutely. Go after it. But do not believe the lie of the enemy when you read that, that your identity has somehow been compromised and you say, well, the prayer of a righteous person, oh, it's not me. Even if it's just positionally, God, I know I'm not living it out right now, but at least you see me this way and help me to see myself that way. Does that make sense? And as you do, it'll affect the way that you pray because your prayer is powerful and effective. So my closing question to you is this, as you pray this week, What do you need to declare and what do you need to ask? What do you need to declare and what do you need to ask? In a minute, we're going to have the worship team come up and we're going to close in worship. But before they do, if you have a a notebook or in your Bible or a piece of paper, if you don't have a piece of paper, grab an envelope out of the seat back and, and, and there should be a pen there as well and write down. In this moment, what is it that you're not praying because you feel like you're disqualified? What is it that you need to be declaring and asking God for in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your parenting, in all of those, wherever it is you're stuck? Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And as we pray and declare these things things out loud, knowing who we are in Christ, God will move. I would go so far as to say that I guarantee that the testimonies would come flooding in. I read in my journaling this week these words, you have not because you ask not. And you ask not because you've believed the lie that you're not righteous, that your prayer is not powerful and effective. I'm here to remind you today that you are righteous. You are the righteousness of Jesus Christ, of God in Christ. That's who you are. So can I encourage you? Can I admonish you? Pray that way. And let's see what God will do. Let's have the worship team come up as I pray. Again, we stand together.
Father, I declare over this congregation today that the lies of the enemy would be undone. That the places where Satan has found an, an ear, those places where he's found a foothold, would be undone in the name of Jesus. We declare that he has no authority in this place. He has no authority in our lives because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we stand as ones who are righteous. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ of the kingdom of God. And that we've been given a boldness, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us to overflowing, that you would stir us up and move us out of our lethargy and out out of our apathy and that we would be a people who call on your name and pray that we would be like the prophets of old who declared things and saw signs and wonders, that we would be like the disciples who went out in power under the power of the Holy Spirit and saw people healed, people saved, people's lives transformed. And God, that we would believe great things as we pray because we know that we stand before you as righteous and that we know that our prayer is powerful and effective. Lord, we pray for our city today. We pray over the city of Glendora. We pray that light would shine into every corner of this city, every place where the the darkness is hiding. Lord, where things are hidden in the darkness, that your light would shine and that you would use your people to go into this city and drive out, drive back, the darkness in the name of Jesus. We pray that strongholds would be broken in the city in the name of Jesus, that deception would be broken in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that your church would rise up to declare who you are, to sing your praise in response to what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.